told you that. We know that. We've been that way. We've been that that place for months. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we just know it's not going to be church as usual. We know it's not going to be three songs, take up the offering and announcements. It's a 20-minute message and we go home and nothing's changed. I believe when people walk into this place, they need to leave differently. I heard a minister say recently, he said, if everything in your life hasn't changed, you've never met Jesus. Now, whoa, that's pretty strong, but I believe that's true. If everything in our life hasn't changed, we've not met him. The one who spoke all that there is into being. And we say, we met him, and I'm struggling with this, and I'm struggling with that. Well, you know, we just, he, he's the answer to everything. And as we begin today, I, I just want to say how much I have prayed over this message. We have prayed over this message. I say, God, I just got to be able to get it right. I got to be able to articulate it. I got to be able to be effort to be totally accurate. And it's not that it's so deep. It's just that it might rock a little theology. Is that okay if, the, if, if I've got scripture to support it? I'm not opposed to rocking theology if it's incorrect theology. And it's not that it's, I mean, I think it's just going to make us look at things a little differently. You know, I believe in life there are some things that don't matter at the end of the day. You know, today there's people up in heaven with Jesus who believed in mid-trib. There's some who believed in post-trib. There's some who believed in no-trib. But you know what? It didn't keep them out of that place, did it? I believe there's some... Baptists up there that probably thought if you weren't a Baptist you were going to hell and if you're Pentecostals that thought if you weren't a Pentecostal you were not going to make it in but at the end of the day it didn't matter because what mattered was Jesus right I believe there might even be a few that didn't really think that it was a problem to drink a glass of wine with their meal they're probably drinking wine up there now with those who said if you drink that stuff you're going to hell Those things just don't matter at the end of the day. But there are those things that we've got to get right. There are some things we absolutely have to get right. And if we don't get right, not only is it going to affect us here, it's going to affect us in eternity. Maybe we won't even, we'll be in, everybody's in eternity somewhere, right? We've got to get it right because it will clarify our purpose as believers. We've got to get it right because the Word of God tells us that it's the wise who win souls, not Terry and Donna wise, it's the wise who win souls. And we've been talking about discipleship. And after this week, and, and you know, I still, I still feel like I'm about 10% there on this message, but I just felt the unction to release it. I just, I got I to gotta tear it apart more for me, with nobody else but for me. And I'm going to tell you what I understand better today than I did last Sunday. When Terry says there's no more delays in the kingdom, I know exactly what that means today. When we understand, when we can understand that why do we need to crucify the flesh? You know what keeps us from crucifying the flesh is self. What keeps us out of the, what makes delays in the kingdom? It's the flesh. The flesh is what causes delays in the kingdom. Not God. God's already got it there. What would you say? You have it before you need it. You never think about it. You have it before you need it. I understand today better the concept of living and moving and having our being. I've taught all of this. Intellectually, I've taught it and I've understood it and I, 
But I understand, I know in my knower now what it means to live and move and have our being in Him. And I also understand why we have to make disciples and not converts. Why we have to make disciples and not converts. And I also know how we have to make disciples and not converts. The word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. You know how many times Christian occurs? Three. Disciples occur 269 times in the New Testament using ESV. Christian occurs three times. But for some reason, we do not grasp the importance of being a disciple. And for some reason, well, I'm not even going to go there. If we are a disciple, a true disciple, we're going to understand the importance of making disciples. I just want to review last week this scripture I used last week, Matthew 28, 18 and 20. And this is, this is, Jesus just gave out the whole plan for discipleship. He said, then Jesus came close to them and said, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of the age. So the foundation of discipleship is understanding the authority of Christ. It's not about a bunch of church doctrines. We don't go out and make disciples based on our church doctrine. This is our doctrine. That Christ in us, the hope of glory for us and for the world. So number one, the foundation is the authority. Number two, who is a recipient? Anybody that wants to. He says you go to all the world, all the people groups, everyone. But then out of those people groups, there are those who are truly going to be followers. And he says then you baptize them. Those who say, okay, I'm willing to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. We cannot waste our time with those that aren't ready to follow. Some water, some plants, God gives the increase, right? When I say waste our time, I'm talking about we spend so much time trying to resurrect a dead person when they're not ready to be resurrected yet, right? Let's get those who want to be disciples, right? Jesus had 12, then he had three, then he had one, right? And all of those, he had hundreds that followed him. Whosoever will, let him come. Those who want to be my followers, pick up your cross and follow after me. You're not worthy to be my disciple if you don't pick up your cross and follow after me. See, we have so watered down in Western Christianized discipleship and what it means to be a believer that we're, so, we're just inaccurate. And we're giving people a false sense of security. There's nothing greater. Now, if you're in a false sense of security, you might be a little uncomfortable. But get out of it, okay? <laughs> you can have the greatest sense of security. You can leave here with so much happiness and joy if you haven't made that choice and that decision to truly follow after him. And then he said there's a process to this. He says you teach them to follow all that Jesus commanded or what he commanded. And what did Jesus teach and what did he command? The will of God. It's not a bunch of rules and rituals. It's about following the will of God. That word teach means skill and knowledge, not just intellectual knowledge, but how do I use the word of God? That's what it means to be a disciple. How do I use this word? How do I make it relevant in my life? How do we teach somebody how to live victoriously? It's not just look, putting something on your bathroom mirror and quoting it 16 times a day. That's not the way it works. That's a good start. We get the Word of God in our minds, right? I believe in that. You, you transform your mind by the renewing of the Word of God. But we make disciples because of the great commandment. You love God with all your heart. You love your neighbors. You love yourself. For no other reason, because we love people, we want them to have all that God has for them. Because I love people, I want... These little people that we run into all the time, you know, God, I want them to be free because I love them. 
because you love them. It's the love of God in our hearts, shed abroad by the Holy Spirit, that drives us to make disciples. I just want to know, are we sold out to that truth? Let me give you something that Dallas Willard said. I love Dallas Willard. This is in his book, The Great Omission, Reclaiming Jesus' Essential Teachings on Discipleship. He said, for at least several decades, the church of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or to intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian, and one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. You see what he's saying? We can have our name on the roll, but we never really make any progress in looking like Jesus. Contemporary American churches in particular do not require following Christ in his example, spirit, and teachings as a condition of membership, either of entering into or continuing in fellowship of a denomination or local church. The disciple is one who intent upon the disciple is one who intent upon becoming like Christ and so dwelling in his faith and practice systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. I am so committed to being Christ, everything else is secondary. I'm so committed to looking like Jesus, everything else takes a back seat. If this hinders, I get rid of it. If that person hinders, I love them and leave them, right? I, I, everything I do, I do with the intention I'm going to be more like Christ or I don't have room for it in my life. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? That's pretty dramatic. So we relegate our church faith, our Christian faith, to following a set of rules, and we feel good in the fact that I can, because I did it. I can follow three rules, and I can say, I did it. I checked off my list. I came to church. I prayed an hour. I read my Bible, and I go out, and I'm gossiping about my person at my work there. Or I don't have love in my heart. I'm still unforgiving about the uncle that raped me when I was six. Or whatever it might be. So we, we get busy and, work, and with works, forgetting that works should be the outflow of who we are as a person. And we try to make works qualify us. That's all work does is qualify and disqualify. It'll qualify and disqualify someone. But being a disciple is more than following rules. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. So not everyone, just because we're busy doing religious things does not mean we've got it together, right? Right? And those who do, the, what is the greatest will of the Father? To love God with all our heart and to love our neighbors we love ourselves. Everything else falls on that. Everything else falls on that commandment. I love God with all my heart. I love you as much as I love myself. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm not going to lie about you. I'm not going to cheat you. I'm not going to gossip about you. I'm not going to take from you. I'm not going to steal because I love you just like I love me. And if you have a need because I love you like I love me, let's get that need met. I have two. You can have one. I have one. We'll tear it in half. You see what I'm saying? We were, we were talking the other day with somebody about how my kids, when they lived in Concord, my Alabama kids, used to laugh about coming to Mimi's house to shop. In other words, they knew our pantries were full, and maybe if they were running a little low on money, you know, they said, let's just go over to Mimi's and shop. And so they did. Well, that's the way we ought to be. If I have it, you need it, we have it, right? If I have a dollar, you need a dollar, we got a dollar. That's the way it should be because I love you like I love myself. But what does the Bible teach us about being a disciple? In Ephesians 5.1, it tells us that we're to be imitators of God in everything that we do, imitators of God. It says, then you will represent your father as his beloved sons and daughters. Luke 6.36 says, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. 
1 Peter 1, 14 and 15 says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything. He said, For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. What does it mean? Set apart. We are set apart from the ways that we don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. We are set apart for the purposes of God. I don't have time in my life to deal with all this junk that the enemy wants to put in our lives. Is that right? We don't have time. We're too busy doing this great work God has called us to do. To come down off that wall and deal with Sanballat's and Tobias that are going to just fill us up. Right? We don't have time for that. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. So being a disciple is more about more than just following rules. The Pharisees followed the rules, didn't they? Pharisees followed the rules. And so when I asked the Lord, where do you want me to go with this intentional discipleship? He sent me to the Beatitudes. And I'm thinking, God, what am I going to do with the Beatitudes? I mean, for a day I just struggled. What am I going to do with the Beatitudes concerning discipleship? I struggled. But as I began to really just get into it and see what it really meant. See, we, we struggle sometimes when we just look at this translation that we have. And we realize, hmm, what's that got to do with anything? And God's saying, dig, dig, dig. And you start digging and saying, wait a minute, that's not even what it says. That's not even, we've been taught this all these years, and that's not even what it's really saying. It's, not, it's, not, it's, it's very clear if we look at, at, at the Sermon on the Mount, especially Matthew 5, 1, if we don't, and through 3, verse 3. If we don't get 3 right, forget the rest of it. If we don't get 5, 3 right, forget the rest of it. You know, we've called the Beatitudes the attitudes for Christians. You know where the word Beatitude came from? It's not in the Greek. The Greek word for that word that's first used is E-U-G-E-L-O, eulogies where we get that, or, or, or to speak kindly of someone. But when the Latin people put it in their language, they used the word beatitudo, which means a blessing. So what we did, instead of translating it accurately, what we did is we transliterated, which means we take a word in another language, we have a word over here in our language that sounds like it, doesn't really mean the right thing, but it just sounds like it so we can make sense of it. So we call it Beatitudes. And it's not even what Jesus was talking about. He didn't even use the, even the Greek word that we use so much, he didn't even use that word. So we have read these things for centuries and misinterpreted what Jesus is really saying to us. Because if I say, blessed are you because you do this and then this is going to be the reward, who's the action? I'm the one that's performing the action. If I do this, God does that. So therefore, I'm going to do this so God will bless me, right? Well, let me tell you, Jesus wasn't saying that at all. That's not what he was saying at all. It's not another list of works that we need to follow in order to get our little daily potion from God. It's not what it is. Blessed is the person who does this, and the reward is this, is so incorrect. It's so incorrect. If we look at Matthew 5, 3... I'm going to walk through this as slowly because I'm trying, still trying to absorb it. But I'm telling you, I've never wrestled with a message like this. And when I say wrestle, I'm, not, I'm talking about just trying to, God, I've got to have your heart in this. I've got to have your mind in this. What are you really saying? What's it have to do with discipleship? What does it have to do with us? But if we look at that mistranslated formula for inheriting the kingdom in Matthew 5, 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as I said, the problem is Jesus never said that. He never said blessed. And I went through this whole thing about how we transliterated a word. 
So when a person blesses another person, there's a sense that the receiver has somehow earned the blessing, and this higher power here is ready to dole out a blessing because I have met the requirement. If that's all we needed, Jesus never had to come go on the cross. Jesus never had to come and go through the cross if all we had to do was, oh, God, I'm humble, therefore give me your kingdom. We We can fake humility, can't we? We can fake humility. And so basically what it's saying is that the higher person blesses the lower person because we're obedient. Well, now we know obedience used to teach and do everything and be obedient to everything and observe everything I've told you. But this is what happens when we mistake the formula for inheriting the kingdom. Number one, we say, I receive the blessing because I have earned it. See, now think in mind, we're, teach, we're making disciples. So are we teaching disciples, if you do this, God's going to be happy with you. So I receive the blessing because I earned the blessing. I obey, therefore I deserve the blessing. See, I think, I think what I'm sharing today is the reason we don't see signs, wonders, and miracles in the church. I really do. Blessed implies the results are due to the action by the doer, in the case the poor in spirit. If I'm poor or humble enough, I'll get blessed by God. So we say, well, if I come to church enough, if I read enough, if I pray enough, and those things are all great things to do, right? But are we, are we, are we banking our promises that God has given to us on my ability to perform? My, my humility has earned me the kingdom of God is what we are saying. Jesus never said that. The mistake makes the person the cause of the action. Let's look and see exactly what Jesus was doing prior to the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Back up to Matthew chapter 4. This is what he was doing. And it says, And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those opposed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. He healed them. And the great crowds followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea, from beyond the Jordan. So what was Jesus? He was giving a show and tell right there of the kingdom of God. That's exactly what he said. I'm going to show you what the kingdom of God looks like. And he said, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, what he was saying was, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you really what you just saw. See, all of these people came to him. Just, they're all, let's just say they're all of us. All of these people, everybody that had a disease was healed. Everybody that had a demon was, was delivered. Everybody that was a paralytic was healed. Everybody that was oppressed of anything was healed. Every drug addict was healed. Every prostitute no longer wanted to be a prostitute. And he said, guys, this is what the kingdom looks like. Now, how many of these people qualified? Did he go through the crowd and say, let's see, what's your humility meter today? Have you been humble enough for me to heal you? Have you done your works good enough? Probably some of them had never even been in a church. Many of them may not have even been Jews. You know, wh- where are you at on your works menu, you know, for your works meter? Have you qualified for the blessing of the kingdom? He said, I'm just here to tell you that the kingdom of God is present. I'm just here to tell you that the kingdom of But there's something very, very similar in these people with what Jesus really said, what he really said. Keep in mind, Jesus had just demonstrated the kingdom of God to people. He had just demonstrated the kingdom of God, that people do not have to earn the kingdom. 
But let's go and look at what he really said in Matthew 5, verse 3. What Jesus really said was not blessed at all. He said, happy are the poor in spirit. It's the word makarios. Makarios. It means happy. See, happy is an internal thing. Blessing is something, oh, God's going to bless me. He's going to give me some external thing. Happiness is something that's internal. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy is an attitude and not an action. See, somebody can grant you a blessing. They can't give you happiness. How many very wealthy people do we know that are not happy? And how many very poor people we know that are happy? And vice versa. You can be, see, I, I, I understood as I was reading this, and I thought, God, that's what you meant when you said it's very difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's not impossible. But it's not impossible. He says it's like sending an eye of a camel through the eye of a needle, but it's not impossible because with God everything is possible. See, I understood what he said when he told the rich young ruler, he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The tokos is the word for poor. Sell, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he said, I couldn't do it. And yet he couldn't do it because his heart was attached to those things. See, Jesus is never after our material things. He's only after our heart. He's only after our heart. So happy are the people because God showed up. Happy are the people. Jesus says there's a person who is going to receive this, this kingdom, and he says it's the poor in spirit. Two words are used in the Greek for poor. Tenes is the first one, and that word simply means those, maybe like most of us, we just work from day to day, and you know, if most people miss a paycheck, they go under, right, or two, or whatever. We used to say people had a flat tire, they were, the whole week was ruined. But they were just the people that just made it through the week. They worked their job. They were good people. They just weren't wealthy people. So that was, that was that quality of people. That's not the word that was used. The word that was used was the word patokos. And that word means those who are completely destitute. Those who are beggars. Those who are homeless. Those who have no option but to trust God. Those who are crouching in fear. They're cringing. They don't know what's going to happen the next moment. And if God doesn't show up, I'm done. This is who Jesus was talking about. He said, happy are the destitute, happy are the beggars, happy are the totally and completely bankrupt, happy are the homeless, happy are those who are pillaged by the elite, the drug addicts, the alcoholics, the indigenous, those crouching in fear of what life holds. These are who the kingdom is for. These are who the kingdom is for. And I thought about this and I thought, God, it's like a huge magnet. And we have this destitution for God or, or this God, we can't get enough. We need you. Like we had this morning. God, if you don't show up, nothing, you know, nothing's going to happen. If you don't show up, God, I'm going to die. If you don't show up, I'm going under. If you don't show up, my kids are going to hell. If you don't show up, I'm going to remain an addict. If you don't show up, God, and I'm looking to you and you alone. I'm tired of these programs that don't work. I'm tired of the religious formulas that don't work. God, I'm so desperate for you. And I saw it was like a huge magnet, and this magnet of desperation for God is, is just sucking the kingdom to us. It's just pulling the kingdom to us. And I thought, God, again, give me another, give me another example of that in Scripture. And he took me to Exodus chapter 3, where the Lord, you know, Moses just saw the burning bush. And, and this is what the Lord said to him. He said, I've heard the cry of my people, and I'm coming down to deliver them. He said, I heard their desperation. And I'm coming down to deliver them. Not because they did anything to earn it, because they were over there with all the Egyptians.
Egyptian idols. They were desperate for God. And what God showed me in this, in this beatitude is, and we're not using that word, but we will for the sake of this service, happy are those who are so desperate for God because automatically the kingdom comes. Automatically the kingdom comes out of our desperation for God. that revelation this week that opened up our eyes to that is where we have to be. That is the only way we can exist in the kingdom with no delays. When we're that desperate, when we're that starving for God, that's when delays don't exist anymore. That's the only time they'll, they'll disappear because there's always delays otherwise because our flesh is functioning and our flesh is leading. That, the flesh is totally crucified. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 33? Seek first the kingdom. Well, what was before that? Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about all that stuff. He said, if you seek first the kingdom, it's automatically going to come. You see, it's just like, gosh, I, I, what, God, why haven't I seen all this before? I've intellectually known it, but I, now I feel it. Now I know it. Now I feel it. God, it's, it's like my desperation, it pulls the kingdom of God. And, and so, you know, we, we, how do we kind of come desperate for God? We've got to realize our need for him. The problem with the church is we don't know we need God. We just think we need church. We don't know we need God. We, we are so we are so self-reliant. That's why it's so hard or difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven because they don't need God in the natural. They don't need God. Jesus traveled the countryside revealing the kingdom of God. Revealing the kingdom of God to people who didn't qualify in those terms, religiously. I love the story when Jesus was whipping up the Pharisees. You ever like those? He says, you'll travel all over sea and land to make a convert. You make them twice the son of hell that you are, little Pharisees. He said, you'll travel everywhere to make a convert. You make them twice the son of hell you are. Why? Because you're teaching a bunch of rules and rituals. He said, you bring them into the temple and you teach them that the gold in the temple is more important than the temple when it's the temple that sanctifies the gold. He said, you'll tell them to bring their gift to the altar and you teach them that the gift is more important than the altar when it's the altar that makes the gift have value. That's what he said. And he goes on and he says, you know, you ought to do all these things. He said, but don't omit the weightier matters, the matters of the heart. Don't omit the important things, justice and righteousness and mercy and love. We get so caught up in all of this. And, and, and maybe many of you today, before our worship, should have said this. I've tried everything and nothing's worked. I've been everywhere and nothing works. I hear these calls. I've got a call this week from my We've done everything. We've been everywhere. We don't know what to do. Can you help us? I said, well, Jesus can help us. I love it when people say we've tried everything because that only leaves one answer. You don't have to explain away the other. Well, yeah, we can help you because we know the one that can bring deliverance. This person said, this child's been this way since she was in my womb. I said, that's no big deal for Jesus. That's no big deal for him. I'm glad you've eliminated all your other options. Now we can get to work and bring healing, right? 
Maybe some have been said, I've been given a death sentence if I don't get a healing. I've been given a death sentence. You know what? Jesus isn't a big deal. The kingdom of God is healing. It's God's will that all be healed. How desperate are we? Was it King Asa? I couldn't remember. And I didn't have time. Was it King Asa that God got upset with because he went to a doctor? One of the kings. He got upset because he went to a doctor and didn't come to him first. One of those kings. You know, and what do we do? We run. To, you know, we, and there's nothing wrong with using medicine. Well, I believe in all that. But, but is, is our faith totally in man and not in God? See, it's God who, see, we are passive in this birth. We are the one receiving the action. Can your English literature do that? We, we, are the, we are the passive people, not the active people. God is the active person. I receive the kingdom of God because my heart is desperate for him. And it automatically tr- attracts him. It's, it's like a bug coming to life. You know, it's like a fly on honey. Some other things we could say. You know, it just automatically, the kingdom of God is automatically attracted to a desperate heart and a desperate soul. This is what we should be saying. Happy are those who are destitute for God. Happy are those who have no other option but to beg for God. Happy are those who've been an outcast by others and cringe in fear every day. Why are they happy? Because of these, the kingdom is. You understand the power of that? Because of the desperate people, the kingdom is. Because of the desperate people, the kingdom manifests itself. We can sing all the songs we want to do. We can, we, can, we can jump and shout and all this and it's wonderful. But I'm telling you, if our hearts aren't desperate, if you're sitting here to get goosebumps, it's not going to make it happen. Because of our desperation for God, the kingdom is. The kingdom shows up. We cannot fall into the trap of making disciples by teaching them how to observe doctrine and worship. We've got to bring them into that place of understanding they are desperate for God. They've got to be desperate for God. I believe this is my definition of what a church should be. It's a group of people meeting together who are desperate for God and where the kingdom of God is evidenced by, by signs, wonders, and miracles. It's where love and righteousness, joy are filling the atmosphere like we have today. The church is the answer to the world's problems, but only if the church represents the kingdom of God. Only if we represent the kingdom of God. I believe Jesus came to introduce the kingdom to people, and that's our role today is to introduce the kingdom. It's not to introduce our denominations, not to introduce our doctrines. It's simply to introduce to people the kingdom of God. We have no other goal but to reveal his kingdom. It's not so we can get a pat on the back or we can get a little check mark or smiley face. It's so we can say, this is the kingdom of God. This is the answer for your problems. Happy are those who are spiritually bankrupt and crying out. It's for the beggars. It's for the stingy. It's for those with no option. It's for those who are completely at God's grace and mercy. There's this little video that we use in Luke 4.18, and, and I just, I just, it just kept coming back to me. And I just want us to, I want us to think about this because, you know, Jesus came for everybody's story. And every one of us have a story. Jesus came for your story. He didn't come to put you. He didn't come to put you in a church service, although we know that's very important. That's what fools Jesus to do. Puts you at the local church. I believe that. Says gets the chance to go out and teach people how to be disciples. But he came for your story. He came for my story. He came for your your health issue. He came for your addiction. He came for your blindness. He came for it all. 
And I want you just to think about yourself. As we listen to this little video, I want you just to think about how desperate am I for God? How desperate am I for God? Great video.
probably only seen that a hundred times. Still tears my heart out. He came for our story. He came. That's the message we have to make disciples. He came for your story. We need to be desperate for God. And you say, well, tell me how to be desperate. Give me three steps. No, that's not being desperate. That's teaching. I'm going to tell you how to be desperate for God. Ask him. God, create my, the hunger in my heart for you. Don't look for three steps to this or four steps to that. God, I want, to, I want to know you more. I want to hunger for you more. God, show me what distractions need to be put aside. That's the crucifying the flesh. God, I want to be hungry for you. He said, well, then put aside this or stop doing that or quit doing so much of this. God, I just want to be hungry for you. Seek my face. He said, those who seek me with all their hearts are the ones that are going to find me. See, it's clear. It, the message of, of Jesus is so much clearer when we understand it's all about our heart for him. It's all about our desperation. And I'm just going to pray a prayer over us, all of us. I want to be more desperate for God. How about you? I remember the last time I was invited to a church growth membership uh, conference. I said, and the Lord said, you're not going to that. I said, man, I'm going to show you how to do it. They don't even build it the right way anyway. Many of them, I said, just, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Let me tell you, there's a personal growth conference God wants to take you into. It's just two people there, you and him. He just wants you and him face to face. And when we become so just desperate that nothing else satisfies, that's when the kingdom of heaven is just going to be ushered in our lives. When we as a church I said this and didn't even know what I was saying. I've said it many times. When we love our city like God and Nehemiah loved Jerusalem, we'll see God bring transformation. What's he talking about? He's talking about desperation. Nehemiah prayed, mourned, and fasted for four months for the city of Jerusalem. When we become that desperate for God, then what happens? God's kingdom comes on the scene. And Jehoshaphat said, God, we don't know what to do. We're just looking to you. They were desperate. What happened? They began to sing praises like sing a hallelujah. And what happened? He sent ambushment into the enemy's camp. Brought confusion. See, the kingdom of God shows up when we're desperate. Not because we've gone through the rituals. And we can have the best of intentions and be wrong. We can have the best of intentions and be wrong. Lord, I pray, create a hunger inside of us. Create a hunger for you, mighty God. Lord, show us what we need to do individually, Lord. We're individuals with you. God, I think when you heard the, the cry of your people in Israel, in Egypt, Israel and Egypt, Father, and you said, I've heard their cry, I've seen their oppression, I feel their pains, and I'm coming down to bring deliverance. The kingdom of heaven showed up. And you pulled them out of Egypt with gifts and gold and silver possessions because the kingdom of heaven showed up God that's the way you are that's who you are give us a compassion and a passion for others Lord let us lead people into discipleship and not just into church routines God we so want you create that hunger God we pray I pray you just visit everyone individually in here today we're not about to make a doctrine of this. God, we just want you. I pray your blessing upon every person here.
Father, that kingdom coming in their life might mean they're going to live another year. Their families are going to survive. Their children are going to be delivered, God. 